Hello, and welcome to I Have Questions, a show where we try to find enlightenment from even the most mundane interrogatories. I am your host, Brian Watson. This is episode three, although technically this is the fourth episode, but for my purposes, it's episode three, and it's my podcast, so I get to do what I want. An interesting topic today, today, it's like 1030 at night where I'm at, so yeah, it's today. An interesting topic for this episode that emerged from my editing of the first episode, the pilot episode, which if you've not heard, the sound quality isn't great. It's an introduction to the show, so it's it's profundity only goes so far. But if you've not heard the pilot episode, go back and listen to episode one. It talks about or describes what the show's about and provides a description for yours truly. Interesting topic this week that I've been kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit because doing some research and structuring my thoughts on how to kind of cover this. And I'm going to do it. I know for a fact I'm going to do an inadequate job on this. So I'm really looking forward to feedback on this particular episode. Now here's how you can provide that feedback. Here's how you can get in touch with the show. Email is I have questions podcast at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at IHaveQU849-22827, or just do yourself a favor and look up I Have Questions Podcast in the search feature of your Twitter app, or if for some reason you're using a laptop or desktop computer to do your Twitter, do your tweeting, or looking at your Twitter. I almost said, when I said desktop, I almost said PC, which would be an inaccurate statement, but for some reason, I even if it's, I'm talking about a Mac, I interject or I inject PC in its place. Facebook, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash I have questions podcast. Please, any and all feedback is solicited and appreciated and rebutted or rebuked, depending on how you like to use that, like to use that term or that word in what format. Any and all appreciation, any and all feedback is appreciated. Comments, questions, criticisms, concerns, death threats. Although, just so you know, I know people that can take care of that for me. Any kind of feedback you want to provide the show, please feel free to do so through those means. Email, Twitter, or Facebook. I haven't set up Skype yet because I just haven't set up Skype yet. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps bring in new listeners, listeners, improves the visibility of the show, and helps further establish my cult of personality, which is the entire point of this podcast. Yeah, you might get a little educated, you might get a little informed in the course of these episodes, but it's really about my self-delusion here. The podcast is hosted on Anchor.fm and through their mobile app. We are everywhere you can get podcasts. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, CastBox, PocketCast, Breaker, Radio Public, and a partridge in a pear tree. So please, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your fix, whoever your connection is, we're there. Allow me to get a Editing a podcast is not any different really than editing any other type of endeavor, whether it's editing photographs like Photoshop or editing a writing. You've written a thing or somebody else has written something and you go back in and you tweak the word choice, you tweak 
the grammar, you tweak the sentence structure, you eliminate the run-ons, you make things more concise, or you add, or if need be, you add to it to make the whatever's being written clearer, or at the very least not to piss off people as much. Or maybe to piss them off more, depending on what you're trying to do. With video, you're trying to, you know, you're editing video to take out, to make things more concise. You make a movie, it's, when you film, the, with all the film that you've made, you've got three and a half hours worth of film, and you got to get it down to two and a half hours. That type of podcast is no different. In order to do the editing, I have to, I edit my own show. I can't pay somebody to do this, and I don't have the budget for a free intern. Or more to the point, I don't have any place to put a free intern. So I do my own editing. And in the course of editing, what I have to do is I I have editing software. It's GarageBand, which comes free with every MacBook. And I think it's free on iPhones for that matter. I haven't tried to edit with an iPhone. I get my thumbs are too big and stubby and that type of thing. Maybe I could do it on an iPad. But anyway, I use GarageBand through Apple on my laptop. And what, what I have to do with editing is I have to basically listen to the entire show again and take out the things that I don't want in that episode. If I'm rambling about something or I take a digression that is just too far and I want to take it out. If I make an off-color remark that in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, no, that's got to go. But largely what I'm doing is I am taking out the sounds and noises as best as I can that you don't need to hear. The first episode, I'm editing the pilot and I'm hearing myself do three or four things quite a bit. First, I can hear myself breathe a lot. Can't really do anything about that while I'm talking, but I can take it out at the beginning of sentences and you know when you take that big inhale to start talking and then the exhale at the end or if there's a sigh or something like that. I can take those out. The other thing I'm trying to take out is the long pauses. I say something, I pause for a second or a second or two, and then I start talking again. Take those out. There's a lot of those. And then the, uh, the last thing that I really noticed that I did a lot was there were two verbal ticks that I just kept hearing over and over and over again. And after about five minutes of listening to the show, only five minutes, they were driving me insane. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got to do something about this. I cannot do this. I cannot do this show unedited. I can't do it. I can't allow these things to stay in this episode. I can't. And truth be told, when I continue to do those things in subsequent episodes, that stuff gets taken out. FYI, my normal caveat, there may be some colorful or off-color language used throughout the episode. I am a big fan of profanity, and from time to time, I'm, I have been known to let it slip. So fair warning on the language. Two verbal tics that I noticed that I did a lot. I have no idea if I do these things in the course of normal conversation in the course of my normal day. I've tried to focus focus on it a little bit more. One of them I know I say on a regular basis. I don't know how frequently. I'm sure people that know me that listen to this podcast and now that I'm going to say this are going to be paying attention to it a whole lot and I'm not going to live the end of it. I'm not going to live it down. Kind of like people I know who intentionally use bad grammar around me just to make my blood pressure go up a little bit. Two things that I caught myself doing. I said, um, a lot, or uh, a lot. Verbal filler. The other one, this one really drove me nuts. I said, you know, like at the beginning or in the middle or at the end of just about every sentence that I spoke. Because, you know, this, you know, that, you know, 
I have to fart, you know. You know that fart wasn't that bad. Did that a lot. Drove me insane. And I did everything humanly possible to edit out as many of those as I could. And sometimes I just couldn't. I left one or two or three in, but they were 15 minutes apart. So unless you were really paying attention, and now, because I've put this out there, you're probably going to. So unless you're really paying attention, you're not going to notice. So I'm editing the show, the first, the pilot episode, episode number one, my introduction to the podcast world. And I'm finding all of these things that I'm doing that are driving me insane. And I edit them out as best as I could. The other thing that editing does is that it trims down the running time on the episode. I think that first episode, I talked for about an hour and 12 minutes. And when I got done editing, I had it down to 56. That's how much time I saved. So as I'm editing the show, that pilot episode, I'm wondering, why do I keep doing these things? Why these particular verbal tics? What's the meaning behind them? Why do I do that? And then I started thinking about people that I know who have verbal tics of their own. My wife likes to, regardless of the circumstances or the conversation, uses this uses a particular phrase. There was a man I used to work for who hired me in my current job. Anytime he had to talk to us in an official capacity within his leadership function, he liked to, when he was communicating something company line or whatever the new process or procedure was, he used this phrase, he kept injecting this phrase from the phrase from that perspective or from this perspective, into his sentences. It was filler, and he used it a lot. And I, so I started wondering, you know, in other circumstances, were there, was there verbal filler that I use? I tried to be conscious about that type of thing and not do it. But in the course of this podcast, this pilot episode, I did it a ton. So I began wondering, do I do this in other circumstances? Now, there are words or phrases that I use over again in response to things or to situations. I like to use the word indeed as an answer. Somebody says something to me and I'll just say indeed. I don't say, yeah, you're right, or you know, I agree, or I concur. It's indeed, which is basically my way of saying you've made a good point. So this is kind of the train. This is kind of the track that I'm going down with this train. Why do we say the things that we say or say the same things over and over and over again? Then my thoughts started running toward, why do we like the things that we like? Because if you're using those phrases or those words over and over and over again, whether you're doing it consciously or not, there's something about those words or those phrases that has an, that has an appeal to you. There's something about them that either makes sense to you or works for you or something. You like them for some reason. So I began to wonder, why do we like the things that we like? And this can apply to anything. In particular, why do we like the things that we like and why do we like the things that we like over and over and over again? I am such, I don't know if, it's, I don't know if this is being a habitual thing. We'll cover that here in a minute. But when I was a kid, I ate the same thing for lunch every day when I went to school. Same thing for lunch every day from grade school to high school. When I got to high school, the menu, the options at lunchtime were much greater but I ate the same thing for four years in high school. When I was in grade school and middle school, it was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, strawberry jelly, peanut butter jelly, or peanut, peanut butter jelly, what the? Peanut butter, strawberry jelly on white bread. I'd have a bag of chips, usually Doritos, maybe barbecue chips, depending on what my mom bought me. And if I had a snack, I can't tell you what it was. I don't think I ever did. And then I would buy chocolate milk at the school, those little pints. 
I think it was a pint. Might have been less than that. Whatever half of a pint is. Those little cartons you could buy of chocolate milk at school. I never ate the school lunch unless it was Fridays because fr- Fridays there was always pizza. But I'd always bring my own lunch and it was always the same thing every day. Once in a blue moon, I'd shake things up and do like a ham sandwich with mustard. But that got old kind of fast. Peanut butter and jelly never got old. And to this day, peanut butter and jelly has not gotten old. If I can't think of anything to eat that sounds good, or if I just, I'm too damn lazy to cook, I'm going to make me some peanut butter and jelly. Except for now, I toast the bread. Back then, I didn't care. Anyway, I could eat the same, I ate the same thing every day for lunch when I was in school until I got to high school. When I got to high school, it was an apple, a hostess apple pie and a little Debbie honey bun with a can of Hawaiian punch. 1,300 calories right then and there, every day, and I didn't gain a pound from that anyway. Ate that every day, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years, except for unless it was Fridays, in which case they brought in pizza, and then I'd eat the pizza. I can watch, I have a, I have a decent DVD collection of movies that I will watch over and over and over and over and over again, usually while I'm running on the treadmill. If I'm channel surfing on TV, if it's a Marvel movie, even if it's Ford, The Dark World, I'll stop and watch it. Can't tell you how many times I've seen the original Star Wars trilogy. I think at this point, I think I've seen The Force Awakens, which just came out three years ago, at least a dozen times. And I think I've seen Rogue One half a dozen times. And that just was out two years ago. I have watched, there are TV shows that I've watched from beginning to end multiple times. Multiple season TV shows. And then there are particular episodes of TV shows that I've probably watched maybe a dozen or two times. I'm one of those people, but I'm not alone. A lot of people do that. Why do we like the things that we like, but why do we like the things, same things over and over and over and over and over again? So I decided after editing the pilot episode, I'm like, you know what? This would make a great topic for the show itself. So I start doing some research and this is, I kept putting off doing this episode because the research took longer. And then there was the gathering of my thoughts, putting things together in a manner in which I could convey this. And even after I did all that, I'm barely, I'm pretty sure I'm going to barely scratch the surface on this. But from the limited research that I did, this is a surface examination of why we like what we like in the various ways that we like it. The one that I seemed kind of the most obvious once I read about it was, why do we like what do we, we like is because it's a part of our biological adapta- adaptation. It is part of our human our predisposition towards the biological imperative, for lack of a better term. The biological imperative, which I intend to cover in a way when we get to, when I get to the episode about identity, the biological imperative is the introduction to that conversation. And it'll make more sense when, when, when I get there to that episode. Why we like what we like is about the biological imperative, which is the perpetuation of the species. The perpetuation of the species through survival and reproduction. So why do we like food so much? You need food to eat, or (laughs) you need food to survive. Yeah, you need food to eat. No, 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 no. You're going to inject the food. You're going to, you're going to snort the food. You're going to inhale, literally inhale like this food. No, 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 no. We need food to survive. We need nourishment, nutrition to survive so that we can keep on living for the purpose of to keep on reproducing, to perpetuate the species. Why do we like sex? That's how we reproduce currently and historically. Down the line, we may end up like Demolition Man. If you haven't seen Demolition Man, they do a real, it's a movie that doesn't get enough praise, but at the same time, in certain circumstances, it gets too much praise. Might arguably be the last good 
Sylvester Stallone movie of the 90s. Although I do like Cliffhanger, and I think Cliffhanger came out after that. I'll just say Wesley Snipes with blonde. Anyway, in Demolition Man, they talk about it's, it's this uh, theoretical future, 30 years from the time the movie was made. And they talk about how kissing's been outlawed, sex has been outlawed, or more to the point, fluid transfers have been outlawed because uh, in a, an overreaction to sexually transmitted disease. It's an AIDS allegory in that regard. And babies, our babies are made, I, want to, I keep wanting to say biologically, but that's not accurate because yeah, that's how all babies are made. But babies are made in a lab. Reproduction occurs, you know, you take the sperm, you take the egg, you put them together and it test tube babies, basically. And sex is done basically through some kind of cognitive, some kind of cognitive transfer. Basically, here's here comes some profanity. Okay, it's base. It's literally a mind fuck. That's what happens in Demolition Man, or what happens in the future under Demolition Man. Why do we like sex? It's how we reproduce babies, how we make babies currently, for the most part. We may make them in a test tube, we may make them in a lab, but we still have to put them in a woman's uterus because we haven't figured out a way to replace the woman's uterus yet. Although I have a feeling. Once that process has been, once we figured out a way to kind of no longer need a woman's uterus, the what's done with pregnancy and having children could get very interesting. Why do we like sex? That's how we perpetuate the species. Why do we like, as human beings, the company of others? Now, this isn't always the case. There's your introverts, which I am one of. I like people to a point, but I don't like strangers. I don't like being around people I don't know. I don't like being around a lot of people I don't. Sometimes, you know, if it's I'm around a lot of people that I do know, I don't want to be around them. It depends on all my mood. But as a species, human beings like the company of other human beings. Why? Strength in numbers. Human beings are pack animals for the most part. How do we survive? How do we protect ourselves? Strength in numbers. Human beings, we're also biologically curious. It is beneficial for human beings to be motivated to explore the world and get a flush of pleasure from discovering new things. A great example of this is when a child, a baby, an infant, learns to stand up. First, they're standing up holding on to stuff. Then they're standing up not holding on to stuff. Then there's taking that first couple of steps before walking toward a parent or a significant other or whatever, and then that person catches you. And then you take further steps. And then you don't need any, and then further steps. And then you don't need anyone to catch you anymore. And then you start running which is always the best part of parenting is when the child learns how to run, particularly when they don't know they know how to run, but they don't know how to do it well. And then they like to run in places where you can run if you can do it well. And they like to run in places where they can't run well and it causes problems. You get a kid who turns to run down the hallway, stumbles, does a header right into the door frame of door frame of the bedroom, gets a golf ball sized goose egg in the middle of his forehead, and your evening is now devoted to the emergency room where you're probably going to be there for three or four hours because, yeah, the golf ball goose egg in the, in the middle of your kid's forehead, not that big of a deal to them. Another example of this, of developing a flush of pleasure from discovering new things is science. That's why scientists do what they do. It's the discovery of new things and the thrill from discovering new things. How many times have you, in, in normal circumstances, how many times have you been pleased with a new restaurant? that you've tried. Or going back to movies and TV, you saw a movie and you loved it. You didn't know that movie. You didn't know that movie, that movie was going to be any good. Took a risk. You went and saw it or you went and watched it and you loved it. 
and then you end up like me watching it a million times. The other reason why we like what we like is resonance. Something about that thing, whatever it is, thing or person, person, place, or thing. Insert your descriptive noun here. Something about that resonance resonates with you and your inner world, resonates with you internally. You're in love, newly in love. You're in a new relationship. Now you're driving your friends and your coworkers crazy with all of the love songs that you now just cannot get enough of. Whereas six months ago, you wouldn't have been caught dead listening to that crap. I can remember when I was a teenager listening to songs and to music that in any other normal circumstance I would not have been listening to, but I listened to them in those particular circumstances because there was a girl or sometimes more than one girl involved. Not in a dirty sense. Get your minds out of the gutters, people. I had commitment issues when I was a kid, so therefore, and to be honest, when you're a teenager, you're whether regardless of your upbringing, when you're a teenager, you're a little more liberal about your dating habits than you are, say, when you're in your 20s or your 30s or so forth. You're in love or you're in a new relationship and all of a sudden you can't get enough love songs, even if they're really crappy love songs. They're not as crappy to you now as they were, say, six months ago or a year ago or, and they're, or as crappy as they might seem to you six months to a year from now, even if you're still in the same relationship. Funny people like funny things. If you're funny, you love comedy. If you're not funny, if you're dramatic, you probably like drama or melodrama. If you're a high drama person, chances are you're predisposed to like soap operas, life imitating art, or art imitating life, however you want to look at it. Another way to think about it would be certain movies or songs that reaffirm a certain belief you have. Hymnals in church. You go to church, you listen to certain hymns. Why? Those hymns reaffirm your belief, your religious belief. That's not to say that people like li- that people that like to listen to death metal want to kill people. But if you like, there's this, um, there are these radio stations that play their like positive uplifting. That's the type of music that they play. It's not overtly religious music, but there's a certain, there's kind of a religious connotation or religious subtext to the lyrics or to the music. It's positive in that regard. Christian, contemporary Christian music is kind of the premise of that. You listen to that music because it's, you know, you probably for a variety of things. You like the beat, you like the singing, you like the production, the production put into the song, but you also like the message. You like the belief. Rap music is a lot like this. Although in a lot of cases, rap music is trying to tell a story or it's trying to project an image, particularly an image by the rapper that is intended to be an allegory or intended to be ironic or to intended to be act as a mirror to a situation or to a culture or to, or to a problem. Certain movies are that way, reaffirm a certain belief. Everybody loves Rocky. The original Rocky in 1976 won Best Picture. I believe that year it beat out, the, I think the movie that it beat to win Best Picture was The Deer Hunter, Michael Cimino's uh, Vietnam movie. This is mid to late 70s when Hollywood or movies were thought-provoking and deep and there was a lot of movies about the various aspects of Vietnam or the post-Vietnam era. The Deer Hunter, I think, came out in 76. Rocky beats The Deer Hunter. The Deer Hunter, which is this profound movie about Vietnam and being prisoners of war and that type of thing. The famous scene, with I think, with uh, the famous Russian roulette scenes in that movie. A very deep, profound movie, but also very dark in that regard. And this movie comes out in 1976, which is less than two years after Nixon resigned from Watergate 
and I, around the same amount of time as since Vietnam officially ended. And the country is in a the country's in a very introspective place at that point in time. We're learning our faith in our country, our faith in our government, our faith in ourselves has been vis- has been visibly shaken. And here comes this movie written by this actor playing the lead part. He's not the best looking dude. This is before Stallone got his face fixed up, which is famously addressed in Rocky 3 at the beginning of Rocky 3. It explicitly talks about how Rocky got his face fixed and it's because Stallone got his face fixed between Rocky 2 and Rocky 3. Along comes this movie about written by this actor who wrote the part for himself because he can't find work. He's unemployed. And he writes this role inspired by a boxing match that he saw on TV involving a white guy finding Muhammad Ali. And the white guy was getting his ass kicked by Ali because this was Ali at his prime. Well, not quite at his prime, but this was Ali at the, where Ali was at the pinnacle. And he's beating the crap out of this guy. I think it was Chuck Webner. Just beating him and beating him and Chuck just kept coming. Chuck, Chuck just kept coming for more. Ali couldn't put him down. Punished him, made him suffer, but Chuck just wouldn't stop. Inspires a young unemployed actor named Sylvester Stallone to write this role for himself. He sells the story to a studio. The studio says, yeah, we're going to make the, we're going to make your movie that you wrote. Stallone says, great, I'll let you make it. I'll sell it to you if I get to play the leading part. And the studio say, are you out of your freaking mind? And he digs his heels and he's, and he digs his heels and he says, no, I'm not going to let you do this movie. I'm not going to sell this movie to you unless you let me play the lead role. And finally, the producers in the studio relents and says, fine. So you have this movie about this down-on-your-luck, no-named, not-very-good boxer played by an actor, a no-named, down-on-his-luck, not-very-good actor who wrote the role and how he gets the chance of a lifetime, gets a shot at the heavyweight championship of the world and what's just basically a glorified publicity stunt. And he takes advantage of the situation. And in 1976... People love that shit. Love it so much that it's, I think it's the most popular movie of that year, and it wins Best Picture over a deep, thought-provoking movie about the Vietnam War, which had just ended a few years earlier. Why? Because it struck at a certain belief. It said something about America. It said something about individual. It said something about it was inspiring. It motivated us. It showed us, it reminded us of what the best we could be, and then yielded a whole shitload of sequels including a spinoff, Creed, which is one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years. If you've not seen Creed, see Creed. It's wonderful. But that movie reaffirmed certain beliefs that we have as Ameri- about ourselves and about Americans and about human beings in general. The other thing, the other reason why we may like what we like is we have an interest in stories or we have an interest in stories from people who share the same experiences that we share. This is kind of a ther- almost a therapeutic type of thing. But we look for common cause with others, good, bad, or otherwise. You know, there are support groups for people who have, obviously, you know, if you fought in a war, the only people that are really going to understand what you're going through are the people who have been through what you've been through. And really in just about any regard, if if you've had cancer or you've battled cancer, the people that are going to understand the most, what you've gone through the most are going to be other people who've battled cancer. If you have a, if you're schizophrenic, the people that are going to understand you the most are other schizophrenics. If you're a black man, a 25-year-old black man in 2018, 20-something-year-old black men in 2018 are going to be the people that most understand what you're going through. 
or what's going on in your life. If you're a liberal in Montgomery, Alabama, the only person is going to the only people that are going to understand what it's like to be a liberal in Montgomery, Alabama, or in the South in general, if you want to be more broad about it, are other people in your situation. So we're interested in stories from people who we have common cause with, who have who have experienced similar things to what we've experienced. New moms get advice from older, more experienced moms, moms who have had kids already. Dads are the same way. Grandparents are probably that way. The only people that probably don't get advice from other people is probably aunts and uncles because they're just like, yeah, I get the, I get, I get the best of, you just got it so good because they're not your kids. You give them back and you get to spoil them and teach them all kinds of bad things. And, and yeah, you'll get blamed for it, but not really. So we identify with those who have had a similar experiences to what we've had. And we want to hear their stories because we want to compare and contrast, but we also want to affirm and or absolve ourselves. If you've done something bad, if you've gone to prison, you don't want to probably hear from people who haven't gone to prison because they're going to look at you like, eh, you went to prison and I didn't. That's always going to be. But if you've gone to prison, the people that you're going to want to most talk to, the people that are going to give you the most comfort are probably going to be other people who have gone to prison. Even more so people who have probably gone to the same prison that you did. If you had a spouse die, regardless of the reason, you have a spouse die, you're going to take greater comfort probably from from the support of other spouses, of other people who've had spouses die because they understand there's a, there's a common, kind of a common language or a common, there's a common language that's kind of derived from a common experience. Another reason why we may like what we like. And again, these are not, they're not, these are not mutually exclusive reasons. There's going to be a lot of overlap. It could be multiple things at once. These are just some of the things that I found from looking into this topic. You have unmet needs. You like something or, more particularly, you like someone that brings you closer to satisfying one of your important unmet needs. There's a strong argument, and I'm kind of, there's a strong argument, and I, I'm a believer in this because I know firsthand this is true. And I believe this applies, and I've looked at other relationships, and I believe the ones that are really successful are successful partly or in large part due to this, which is the relationships that work are where... The person, the other person's strengths are where you have weaknesses. And where you have strengths is where the other person has weaknesses. You fill the gaps for the other person and they fill gaps for you. Now, there is a certain degree of, you have to be aware of that, I think. I think you really have to be aware of that type of thing. Because if you're not aware of it, then you know the relationship's working for mysterious reasons. Or more to the point, they're only mysterious because there's no reflection going on there. But you have needs and the other person helps fill those needs or depending on your point of view, multiple needs being filled by multiple people in multiple circumstances. You have a, a large group of friends that you're really close to, and they're all very different people. They're not all the same type of person. Some are type A personality, some are type B personality, some are loud, some are quiet, some are obnoxious, some are intellectual, some are funny, some are sexy, some are platonic or androgynous or whatever asexual but each of those feed people one of the reasons why you may like each of those people is because you have they help fill whether in whole or in part an unmet need that you have an example would be if you are single but you don't like being single single you hate being single you're more likely or more likely to be interested in going to hang out being social or spending a lot of time on social media there are people that I know who have been, who've just become single, and when they were in a relationship, yeah, they'd post like on Facebook or something like that every once in a while. Once the relationship ended, they were they were prodigious on, if that's the right word, might not be the right word, 
they were on Facebook all the time, sharing all kinds of things, providing status updates, all kinds of stuff. Every little thing that they did, they shared on social media or they commented on every little thing. They liked every, every, every post that you shared, they liked. Every photo that you posted, they liked. Wherever, wherever you were or whatever you were doing, they liked it or they thought it was funny or whatever. So that social media is providing you with social interaction that you no longer have or that you don't have as much of as you had before. So there's that. One aspect that I found particularly interesting was that our interest in something or someone can be largely dependent upon what we know about that thing or that person or what we perceive we know about that thing or that person. For example, you look at a work of art, a painting, and you look at the painting by itself. You look at the painting, you judge it, you assess it, you critique it on the merits of the painting itself. You don't know who the artist is. The artist could be my eight-year-old daughter. And if I told you my eight-year-old daughter made this, did this painting, you'd have a certain type of reaction. But what if I told you that exact same painting was done by Pablo Picasso? How much different is your assessment of that painting at that point? Is it your assessment of the painting better than it would have been if it had been my daughter? Is your assessment of the painting worse because of the fact that Pablo Picasso did it versus my daughter? Art, whether it's music or film or sculpture or architecture or any type of aesthetic process, in some ways is dependent upon or dependent upon our belief of how that aesthetic came into being and who created it. Here's one way to think about it. Sports memorabilia. I have in my basement a, a, an autographed Brett Favre Green Bay Packers jersey. In my adult life, I've been, a, I've been a Packers fan in my entire adult life. I was there during the Favre era. I was a fan during the Favre era. I got as a gift one year for Christmas an autographed Brett Favre Green Bay Packers jersey. I have absolutely no idea if that autograph is authentic. It was gotten for me as a gift. It was purchased. They didn't actually take the jersey to Brett Favre and have him sign it. I have no letter. I have no certificate of authentication. Nothing. I have no idea if that autograph is legit. But I have an autographed Brett Favre jersey framed in my basement. I also have a Brett Favre jersey hanging in my closet that looks exactly the same as the jersey autograph in my hanging in my basement. What's the difference between the two jerseys? One has a signature on it, supposedly from Brett Favre. The other one doesn't. And the only reason that, the only difference in value between those two jerseys is that thing, that signature, alleged signature. It could be fake. And if it is fake, I don't care. I really don't. I have no intention of selling it. It has no monetary, it has no monetary value to me. Even if the even if the autograph isn't legit, it was a gift. Appreciate it as a gift. It's in my basement. It's hanging in my basement. And it is freaking huge. Because it's framed. But sports memorabilia. You get a baseball. How much different is a baseball, a foul ball from opening day of opening day at Wrigley Field in 1992 versus Game one of the World Series two years ago, getting a foul ball in the World Series two years ago. How different is that? Probably the exact same type of baseball from the exact same manufacturer. If you were to compare them internally, the balls might be different, but externally, you, you, know, you wouldn't notice. What's the difference? The experience, the event, the time and the place at which that occurred. Better yet, what about the Bartman ball for you Cubs fans? Our pleasure of a thing is enhanced simply by learning more about it, where it comes from, 
how it works. Another example that I found very interesting is music. You listen to a song once and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. But I don't know. There's something I don't know yet. And you listen to the song over and over and over again because it's, you know, you listen to the radio and it's played a million times because it's really popular with everybody else, but you're not sure. The more and more you listen to that song, the more and more you begin to like it. It grows on you. Or you have a song that you've listened to a million times and it never gets old. You develop a greater appreciation for it the more you hear it. Because the more you hear it, the more you start to notice about it. One time you listen to the song, you pay, you're paying particular attention to the vocals. The next time you're, paying, you're listening to the song, you might be paying attention to the, the beat, the percussion, the accompaniment. One time you're listening to a song and you're listening to the bass guitar on it. Or, or one time you're listening to a song and you pay particular attention to a guitar to the guitar solo on it. Or you listen to the same song played by the different band but in a different context. One time you're listening to the studio version of the song and then you listen to the, to the live version of the song and you compare and contrast with how they're different. I particularly do that with Pink Floyd. But the more you listen to a song or listen to music, the more you understand it and the greater your depth of pleasure from that music is. You've learned more about it either by researching it or you learn more about it by simply listening to it and you're paying attention to different things. And then you pay attention to those different things and then you see how they, those different things fit together or maybe how they don't fit together, depending on the circumstance. But your appreciation or your love for a song or for a music or for a composer or a singer or a, a band, you, take a, you listen to 1964 Beatles and you compare it to the White Album. You take Sgt. Pepper and you compare it to Magical Mystery Tour. You take, let it, you take McCartney and you compare them to Lennon, how they complement each other and how they're very different. You listen to a song and you try to figure out which part of this, which part of this has McCartney on it and which part of it has Lennon on it, or Ringo or George Harrison. Food tastes, depending on what you think the food is. If somebody were to blindfold me and give me food and I taste, try it and I taste it and I try it and I like it, and then they tell me, oh yeah, I go, you know, what was in this? Well, it was such and such with mayonnaise. I hate mayonnaise. But in that context, because I didn't know what was in it, I went into it blind and it tasted good. The I didn't mind the mayonnaise. Does that mean I'm going to eat that particular item with mayonnaise on it? No. Am I going to do that again if I know that there's mayonnaise on it? No. Probably not. Because I my predisposition is I don't like mayonnaise. If you were to bring me a food and I ask you before I eat it what's in it and you say there's mayonnaise in it or if there's mushrooms in it or dear God, a vegetable of some kind, I'm probably not going to eat it because I know what's in it and I know what's in it and I know I don't like those things. It's like the, um, the old uh, Pepsi versus Coke comparisons, the blind taste tests that they used to do in those commercials. Hey, which one do you like better? Oh, this one. Oh, that one was Coke. <gasps> I'm a Pepsi person. I like Coke. It's kind of like when I was in middle school, there was this battle between Guns N' Roses fans and Metallica fans. The same kind of was with hip hop. It was kind of your gangster rappers, your East Coast, West Coast thing. The gangster rappers on the West Coast versus like the Public Enemy and the Cool Mo D and the KRS-One, the Boogie Down Productions on the East Coast. Later on, it would be the uh, bad boy Def Jam thing. Sexual attraction. Your attraction to someone 
depends largely on on who you perceive that person to be, who you think that person is. For example, this is going to, this may irritate some people. You see a woman walking down the street. She's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. She's, she's got her hair done. She's got her makeup done. She's perfectly groomed, perfectly coiffed. And she's wearing a dress that is so low cut, you can practically see her navel. And a dress that's so high cut, you can almost tell what kind of chair she sat in by the creases on her backside. Whether or not you find that person attractive may depend on how you perceive that person. If you think she's a slut, you're probably less likely to be attracted to her. Unless you think sluts are like a good thing. If you're attracted to sluts, you're going to think she's a slut, you're going to be attracted to her. However, if you think sluts are a bad thing, and you perceive her to be a slut, you're likely to not be attracted to her. You've never spoken a word to her. For all you know, she's a member of Mensa, she's found a cure for cancer, and on the weekends, she volunteers at homeless shelters. She could be the most, she's, she could be the person that you would want to clone, but because of how you perceive her to be, based on what you've been able to assess so far, could dictate whether or not you're attracted to that person. The same face and body could elicit a totally different response if you believe that face and that body to be one type of person versus another type of person. For example, you see a man walking down the street. He's wearing a three-piece suit. He's got the spectacular comb over. Just to do a shorthand, he looks like Don Draper, except for probably the smoking. I'm, I have this thing about smoking. It's the grossest thing ever. I have one turnoff, one automatically automatic disqualifier is if you smoke. I can probably tolerate I can probably tolerate illicit drugs unless it's probably marijuana because that's smoking. And I can certainly tolerate alcohol. But smoking is an absolute deal breaker. My wife asked me once, she goes, "Is there one thing when we first started dating if there's one thing that I did that would automatically turn you off and that would have like pushed you away, what would it have been?" I go, "If you smoked." She goes, "What if I cheated on you? I might be able to forgive you. I could probably forgive you depending on the circumstances." She goes, but not if I smoke. I go, nope, probably not. You see a man, he looks exactly like Don Draper, minus the eventual emphysema. You're going to perceive him as a probably a, a good, solid, career-minded, upright family man. Again, he looks exactly like Don Draper, and he acts exactly like Don Draper, but you don't know that. You're attracted to him depends on what you perceive him to be. The old expression, don't judge a book by its cover, yeah, that does apply, but your attraction has more to do with your self-perception or your perception of this person rather than who they actually are. The other, another one, and yeah, we kind of covered this a little bit actually when we're talking about music, so I might just skip it. Oh, well, oh, wait, there's a twist. The mere exposure effect, which is what I talked about regarding listening to the same song over and over and over again and noticing different things each time you listen to it. The same goes with movies or with books. You read a book, you read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, for the 10th time, and on the 10th time, you discover the meaning of life from it. Or there are people who watch, say, Caddyshack, and on the 12th time they watched it, they finally noticed something that Bill Murray did as Carl in the shack when he's making the bombs to blow up the gopher that they never noticed before. That's the mere exposure effect. We, great, we develop an appreciation to something or to someone the more we're exposed to them. There's a twist on that, though. If you listen to a song over and over and over again, and you appreciate the complexity of the song, let's say it's um, symphony music. 
all those instruments, you know, a hundred piece orchestras playing this piece, regardless who the composer is. And each time you listen to it, you notice something particularly different, whether it's the flutes or the clarinets or the, or the, uh, the tubas or the, the strings, something. Each time you look different and then, or you notice multiple things at once because they go together. As you like more complex melodies with repeated exposure, you tend to tire of and like less simpler ones. You listen to a symphony played by a hundred piece orchestra and you listen to that more and more and more, a string quartet means less to you or you like a string quartet less. You listen to the entire Led Zeppelin discography over and over and over again, and you get really sick and tired of James Taylor or Dylan, folk singers. Same goes with food. As we eat something, we begin to like it less. You eat the same thing over and over and over again. My wife, this happens with my wife from time to time. She'll go through a taco kick. She did this with the fajitas every time we went out to eat for a long time. She'd, every time we went out to eat and it was just the two of us, she'd want to eat someplace that had fajitas or go to the same place that had the same fajitas all the time until it went out of business. Or we'd go like every time to this place and get, she'd get fajitas every time. And then at some point she just stopped. She does this with tacos when we're at home. Every time she wants to eat, I mean, what, are you, what are you hungry for? Tacos, specific type of tacos, usually chicken, chicken tacos with these particular things on it. And we'll do that at least once a week for weeks. And then at some point, no more tacos. Done. And all this taco stuff that I had been accumulating every time I went to the grocery store for the last several weeks sits there for a while until it's really no longer any good. And then weeks will pass without the tacos and then the, the taco kick will kick in again. And I got to go get new taco stuff because all the old tacos, all the old taco stuff I had went bad. I do this with sometimes with podcasts, but a lot of times with movies. I'll watch the same movies, like Marvel movies. I'll watch those all the time. Never get old with them. Probably a bad example. But no, let's say I'm watching, I go on a Star Wars kick. Generally, I'll avoid the prequels. But sometimes if I've I've watched all the other movies, I might pop in a a prequel. Usually Revenge of the Sith. Definitely not Attack of the Clones. I'll go through the Star Wars kick and I'll watch all the movies. Sometimes more than once. I'm, you know, if it's like The Force Awakens or Rogue One or Empire, I might watch it more than once in the span of that kick. Or if I'm on a Star Trek movie marathon kick, when I'm like exercising, when I'm on the treadmill, I'll keep going and going and going. And then at a certain point, I'm just like, you know what? I'm done. I need to watch something else. Usually that something else will probably be the Avengers or maybe Rocky IV. If I'm having a really hard time, a really difficult time getting motivated to go run on a treadmill for half an hour, Rocky IV usually takes care of that. And not just the the beginning of Rocky IV, but we're talking the training montages. That's the part. And the fight at the end. Basically the last 45 minutes of Rocky IV. As we eat something, we begin to like it less. This is why we break meals into courses with different types of foods. That's why if you go to a restaurant, usually they'll bring you bread at the beginning. There's your grain. Then you get your main course, which usually has several things at the same time. You get your main course, steak or chicken or whatever, pasta, depending on where you're at. And then you get a side, something completely different. With the steak, it might be french fries, or it might be a baked potato, or it might be vegetables. Or if you're my kids, it's, you know, depending on where you're at, it's cinnamon apples, which I'm totally down with. And then you get a dessert, which is completely different from everything else that you ate because it's very sweet and it's very fattening and all that kind of stuff. It's good stuff. But everything you eat is different and very, and most of the time, very different from everything else in the meal. You don't go to an Italian restaurant and then eat pesto as an appetizer and then spaghetti or fettuccine as the main course 
with a side of something else Italian that I can't think of or, oh, a side of macaroni and then follow it up with a heavily doughed cobbler or pie. You don't do that. While also drinking Coke. What you drink with your food might be different. Wine or beer is very different from just about anything you eat. Typically, most people don't drink a Coke with their dessert. They drink coffee or tea because they're very different from the dessert. A lot of times, someone, they'll eat their entire meal and then at the end, they'll have a cup of coffee. Why? Because the coffee is completely different from everything they just ate. But that's an interesting twist on the mere exposure effect. You might eat the same meal every day, but unless it has all of those different things with it, you don't. So I found that to be particularly interesting. That's a very interesting twist on the whole, on the exposure effect, especially with food and music for that matter. Now we get to pop culture. Why do we watch the same movies, TV shows, or listen to the same music over and over and over again? The obvious one is the, the first, the most obvious one is the mere exposure effect. The more and more we're exposed to something, the greater an appreciation we develop for it because we could develop a greater understanding for it. Another reason why is what's called, and this was referred to, and this seems very pretentious, but the meditative chant effect, which is that these things provide us with comfort. They give us peace, tranquility. My mother is a big, and I believe she does this every day, either one or both of these things. She's a Pilates and yoga person every day because it provides her comfort. Gym rats, men and women who go to the gym every day, it provides them with comfort. I have a very wicked sweet tooth. Junk food provides me with comfort. So I'll eat the same kind of candy over and over and over again. I'll watch Marvel movies because they provide me with comfort. Or Star Wars or Wrath of Khan or insert geeky movie here because they provide me with comfort. Another reason why we watch the same things over and over and over again or listen to the same things over and over and over again is that there's a, a nostalgia effect to them. Most of our autobiographical memories are stored in our brains between our memories between the ages of 10 and 30. I can remember a whole bunch of crap from when I was a little kid, from when I was especially from when I was a teenager, from when I was in college, and really up until I was 30 years old. Oddly enough, I had my first child at 30, so that might have something to do with it. But I can remember, I have an easier time remembering things from long ago than things I've, than things have happened in the last few years. My grandparents are like this. They're in their 80s. They remember all kinds of things from long ago. In fact, one of my, it is my intention at some point in the near future for this podcast to interview my grandmother about her childhood. She was born and raised, she was born in the South. She lived in the South for a long time as a child, moving around a lot. Her, her dad, my great-grandfather, was a newspaper man, which was not a very, which was not then and is not now a very job-secure environment. Over the years, especially in my adulthood, she's told me all kinds of stories about her childhood and the things that she witnessed and experienced and that her dad experienced. And I was like, I have got to when, I, when, this, when it came time to do this podcast, as I started thinking of topics, I'm like, I've got to memorialize these stories somehow because I have so many questions about them that I've never had an opportunity to ask because they were usually in circumstances or an environment where those opportunities just weren't there. But she can remember a whole bunch of things about her childhood that was 80 years ago. My grandfather can remember things from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, 60s and stuff. He remember all kinds of people. When he dies, it's going to be like a state funeral. Everybody's going to be there because he knows everybody. Or he knows the kids of everybody. Or he knows the grandkids of everybody. But our memories 
Most of our autobiographical memories are for a period of tw- a 20-year period of time between the ages of 10 and 30. And the reason for the why they, those memories stick, because it's a, during that period of time, it's a period of change or periods of change, followed by periods of stability. Your teenage years are incredibly tumultuous. Your 20s, not so much. Or your early 20s, probably not so much. Then you have kids, and then you, your life is tumultuous again. You also have a, your identity, your sense of identity uh, forms during that period of time, over that 20-year period. Who you develop into during that period of time is largely who you're going to be for the rest of your life. That also happens to be, sadly, when you're at your peak physical condition. You can do, you will never be able to do more of anything physically, more than likely, than you do during that period of time. So there's a nostalgia effect on that type of stuff. I'm an 80s kid. I have a greater appreciation for 80s things than I do the 90s or the 2000s. Even though there are a lot of great things in the 90s and the 2000s, I'm still an 80s kid. And everybody my age, just about everybody my age or a little bit older, can do all kinds of John Hughes references because that's what we grew up on. Or Mel Brooks movies. I can quote Spaceballs verbatim. Probably from beginning to end. And if I can't now, I could at one point. My parents were teenagers in the 70s. That's their decade. There were a lot of good things in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s, all that kind of stuff, but they're 70s people. My kids are in the 2000s or the teens right now. This is going to be their time 30 years from now. We also watch the same things over and over and over again or listen to the same things over and over and over again because they're habit forming. There are people that you, they get up in the morning and they'll watch something every morning, the same thing every morning. It's a habit. My kids, like my daughter, likes to watch the same thing on YouTube or likes to watch the same thing on Netflix. My son's the same way. I'm the same way in a lot of ways like that. But it's just a habit. We don't, and a lot of times we don't even think about it. We don't even realize it is a habit. We don't think of them, we don't think about them or they don't require us to think and that's part of their value. It's just, it's, in a lot of ways and a lot of times it's background noise. I believe in the pilot episode I talked about, I listen to the same podcast every night when I go to bed. Regardless of how many times I've heard it, it's this, I listen to the same podcast over and over and over again. I'll listen to a different episode each, you know, or they'll string them together. But I do that every night to go to bed to help me go to sleep. It's a habit. Then, of course, habits can lead to, if you're not careful, they can lead to addictions. And we all know what addictions are. There's also a ritual aspect to watching the same thing over and over and over again. The ritual is symbolic and expressive. There's a status. Oh, the big one is, you know, a lot of times it's status quo bias. We're sticking with previous decisions because the cost of coming to a new decision is mentally exhausting. I do this a lot. I will go to Netflix. I will pull up my, I have a list on Netflix of stuff I want to stream. And I'm like, I'm going to watch something new and different. And then I hesitate because I don't want to invest the time in something that might suck. On the periphery and looking at you know, whatever the little video excerpt that they're playing or the trailer and the background on the screen is whatever it is, might look appealing. But there's that part of me that says, do I really want to spend an hour, if it's a TV show, on something that might suck? And then I hesitate and get indecisive. And then I end up going, okay, I'm just going to watch another episode of The West Wing. There you go. It's easier for me to stick with previous decisions, things that I already know that I like, and to do those things over again, which may explain the appeal of relationships. Actually, it probably does explain the appeal of relationships. Relationships are stable most of the time. Good ones, anyway. Stable and predictable. 
you're sticking with a previous decision as opposed to going out and meeting somebody new and taking a risk and taking all kinds of new risks or previous risks or same risks, but in different circumstances. Risks in general, as a species, largely risk averse in some ways. But we do that with our choice of entertainment consumption. We listen to the same albums or the same songs over and over and over again that never get old. Why? Because they're depend, they're reliable, they're dependable, they're consistent. They're always the same. So I hope you enjoyed this little diversion down peculiarities of our tastes and our preferences. Hopefully you learned a little bit. Hopefully it gave you something to think about. I certainly learned a lot about this topic from doing the research for the show. I'm sure that a lot of these things are probably things that we've thought about at various points of time and in various different circumstances, either consciously or, or unconsciously, or just in passing and never really said, huh, that's kind of interesting. And then five seconds later, the thought is gone. That's a horrible problem when you're trying to do a podcast. Hey, you think of a question, it's a really interesting idea and you want to explore it later. And then five minutes later, for whatever reason, you cannot remember what that question was. But I hope you enjoyed and learned, enjoyed the program, enjoyed this episode, learned a little bit, give you something to think about when during your downtime, when you want to think about something other than the daily rigors of daily life. Maybe even provide a revelation or a tiny tidbit of enlightenment for you. Again, how to reach the show. Email at IHaveQuestionsPodcast at gmail.com. I would really love some feedback on this particular topic for this particular episode. The other... Previous episodes, yeah, there was feedback to be given, but those topics were, they were, you know, they're interesting, but they're not really, they're not really thought-provoking. They were more ex- uh, explanatory, if that is even a word. But this one's different. This is, this is something, this is a topic that I would hope would generate significant feedback on. The email is IHaveQuestionsPodcast at gmail.com. Shows on Twitter at IHaveQU849-22827 or just save yourself some trouble and look up I Have Questions Podcast in the search feature of your Twitter app. The show is on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash I Have Questions Podcast. Any comments, questions, criticisms, or concerns, feedback, anything that you want to provide in regards to this episode or previous episodes is greatly appreciated and always welcome and you will most, uh, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say most definitely. I'm, I will say you are very highly likely to get a reply from me because I don't have an intern that I can pawn that off on. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps bring in new listeners, whether you get your podcasts through iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you go. Don't hesitate to visit anchor.fm since they host this program. Thank you very much for your time and your patronage on this episode. Please don't hesitate to go back and listen to the previous episodes if you haven't done that yet. This has been episode three of I Have Questions. Interestingly enough, I did episode four before I did episode three. That's the nice thing about not having a time-sensitive or time-specific podcast. You can get away with that stuff. This has been I Have Questions. I have been your host, Brian Watson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.